Welcome to The Rancher's Voice, presented by the Montana Stockroar Association. I'm Jay Bodner, MSGA's Executive Vice President. And I'm Rayleigh Honeycutt, Director of Natural Resources. Join us for conversations surrounding policy, the legislature, and issues that matter most to ranching families in Montana. Welcome to this week's episode. This week we have a big week with transmittal coming up, and that is all of the bills have to be transferred from one chamber to the next. So we're in a mad rush to get a lot of bills done this week. We also do have a lot of bills that deal with meat processing, and we'll, we'll go into those in great detail um, for our listeners today. And then we also do have uh, a welcome guest, Jake Fettis. He's a local producer, um, and he's going to be talking a little bit about legislation, both at the federal level and at the state level, and how that impacts his business. So we want to, uh, again, thank you for listening and make sure uh, to remind you to subscribe to The Rancher's Voice, follow us on social, make sure to like, share, and comment on each episode. And if you have questions for us, email us at Kenny, K-E-N-I, at mtbeef.org. So we'll start off with just a quick recap of last week, and I'll start with Senate local government. This was Senate Bill 231. This uh, revised exempt wells for family transfers. Uh, This bill in particular, we did um, ask for an amendment to reduce or eliminate the exempt well provision out of this. They've taken that amendment on and it's moved out of the the committee and into the first house. So, Next, we have uh, Senate Bill 174. This also dealt with subdivision reviews. And um, there also did, we did have concerns with that. And there was an amendment placed on that bill also. And uh, so that actually took us, we had no position on that bill after that amendment went on. And that is also out of committee. Also, we uh, testified in House Bill 352. That's in regards to easements. And uh, really what that bill said is if public funding was used as part of your uh, conservation easement, you would be mandated to allow for public access. Uh, We opposed that bill and um, uh, executive action has not happened uh, from the committee, but that bill was... uh, fairly highly opposed, and so it'll be interesting to see um, if it will move out of the committee. In House Egg, we did have House, we had a couple of bison bills. So we had House Bill 318 that clarified the definition of a bison and what a wild bison is. Um, We've run that bill a couple of times. We supported that bill, um, and that is also out of committee. Um, In addition, we had House Bill 302. This required county commissioner approval of bison being relocated into their county. Also, we also supported that bill, and we've seen versions of this in the past. There is an amendment that's going on that uh, provided some clarification for the counties and their growth policy. Uh, We anticipate that bill getting passed out of committee also. And then on the Senate Ag side, uh, the committee did confirm our Board of Veterinary Medicine appointees. And so congratulations to Paul McCain, Katri Nelson, and Katie Ryan um, all uh, for their confirmation. And then last, uh, there was a bill, Senate Bill 210 in Senate Senate Ag as well. Uh, That bill was similar to the bill we talked about last week in regards to placarding. Uh, The committee did hear the bill and no executive action has been taken yet. 
So as we look forward into this week, um, once again, this is going to be a busy week just with transmittal date looming quickly. Uh, we'll start with House Egg. Um, in House Egg, we have House Bill 336, and this deals with a number of one of the meat packing or meat processing bills that we will see this session. And I think while well, well intended, we certainly um, have interest in providing opportunities for our processors and, and looking for opportunities to potentially sell that meat across state lines. But unfortunately, we do need to change the federal regulation before we can do that. Um, so as drafted this bill, we will oppose that because it does, we have been sent, um, the Department of Livestock has been sent a letter by um, the Food Safety Inspection Service, FSIS, that said, if this bill is implemented, then we will lose 50% of our cost share for our state inspected program. And that would cost us $1.1 million. So, so as drafted, we will oppose that. We will look to potentially amend that and get that bill in, in a position that we could support. In addition to that, we also in House Egg, we have House Bill 410. This is the Pollinator Protection Act. Um, as drafted, we will oppose this bill. Also, it looks like as it's drafted, uh, we would it would prohibit ag and grazing lessees from applying insecticides on state lands. And then it also may uh, prohibit us from actually planting crops unless we would consider uh, wheat and barley a native plant. And so uh, that bill, as a drafted, we will oppose that bill. Um, in addition, we have House Bill 396. Uh, this is a bill we would support. This would uh, clarify hemp seed as a commercial feed, which would include um, livestock. And there is some nutritional value there. So certainly, uh, I think, a, a good addition to the code there. And Jay mentioned in the opening that this week is a busy week. And so while those three bills are being heard on the House side, we will have three more additional bills being heard on the Senate side. Same time, same day um, in regards to a couple different areas. So the first one is Senate Bill 279. Uh, this is also a meat uh, bill and it's in regards to meat packing exemptions. So this bill would allow for meat processors to sell to retail meat establishments or um, retail stores or restaurants anywhere that purchases for retail use uh, meat processing or meat. Um, and that meat facility, which also would include exempt processing um, would be able to sell as long as there was a local Montana product stamp. Um, again, the intention of this bill is uh, is we appreciate. However, um, our concerns is one with that exempt processing um, component to it. Those processors are only um, inspected twice a year, whereas our state inspection, um, there are processor uh, um, inspectors on site when uh, kill dates happen. Um, and then just the general food safety standpoint as well. So we will um, be going in to oppose that bill, but also know that uh, we'll hopefully be able to work with the bill sponsor on maybe some solutions um, uh, or amendments. The second bill that will be heard um, is in regards to valuation of commodities on state lands and specifically Senate Bill 270 is in regards to how hay pricing is set on state trust lands. And so uh, what this bill does is it will it, it calls out five specific land offices that will kind of be the setting point for 
hay pricing. Um, one of the concerns for us on that is that currently the billings market is not included in one of those land offices. Secondly, um, currently the state lands trust folks when they're setting prices use multiple points. I think they said 26 when I talked to them for setting prices. So currently prices are a little more localized than what this bill will do. Um, so we'll be going in and hoping that we can maybe um, work with the sponsor again to amend it to maybe maybe just clarify that pricing comes from Montana and not ne necessarily designate those five land offices. And then last um, in the Senate Ag committee, we will hear Senate Resolution 11, which is a product of the USA bill. Uh, we will be going in in support of that as MSGA has had a long standing policy regarding this topic and our producers have expressed uh, uh, big concern with protecting and preserving that USA label. So that will be heard on the Senate Ag side on Tuesday. So in addition to that, we have House Bill 471, and this bill would prohibit nonprofit corporations from buying ag land. And I, I think certainly on its face, that sounds like something that would have some interest with Montana stock growers. So as the bill has been drafted, um, it does exempt uh, a number of nonprofit corporations like churches, uh, schools, hospitals, um, organizations that provide low-income housing. One of the concerns that we have had, and we've had some of this discussion in our committees in the past, is dealing with private property rights. And um, should there be restrictions on who you can and cannot sell your property to. So there are some of those um, concerns that we've heard from our members. And so that's something we're going to be watching very closely. Yeah. And then, um, as Jay mentioned, Transmittal is rapidly approaching. So there are a couple additional bills that we have been working with bill sponsors on that don't have bill numbers yet, but are still in the uh, LC form. Um, but we wanted to talk and share those with you because we know that probably this week they will be having hearings. So the first one is LC 2972, and that is in regards to approval of national heritage areas or historic trail designations coming from the state. And so we have been working with Representative Josh Cashmeyer on this bill. And um, as many of you probably know, there is a proposed national heritage area currently right now that would encompass Cascade County. Uh, this bill, what we're asking for is that any designation um, done by the National Park Service would have to, um, oh, and I should say that extends outside of federal lands, would have to receive approval by the Montana State Legislature before that designation could move forward um, for a congressional act. So keep um, an ear out for uh, more information on that, but we do anticipate probably in the latter part of this week, potentially having a hearing. Yeah, and I think this bill is a great example of member policy moving forward toward legislation. So we're excited about this bill. Um, in addition to that, we have LC 2813, and this deal dealt with um, putting a gate across county roads uh, for livestock containment. And I think it's important that uh, we're working with Senator Steve Heinbaugh over in the Sydney area. There are areas of the state where we know that we do have some of these designated county roads, um, and, but yet they still want to, we want to make sure that we can still contain livestock. So we're working with the counties to try to draft this bill. We're already looking at some amendments to ensure that um, it's very specific. You can't lock those and it's only for livestock containment. 
And then the last bill we just wanted to put on your radar is uh, a Senate Resolution 7 uh, by Senator Jeff Wellborn. This resolution is to remove the uh, Hidden Pasture Creek Wilderness Study Area from uh, the Wilderness Study List. And so uh, it is a resolution. It's not not a bill, but what it would do would be to um, remove the designation. We had members, again, like Jay said, uh, policy coming from our members is so important to us. We had members come this last year and we did adopt policy at the MSGA annual meeting uh, regarding the removal of the specific wilderness study area. And so we will be standing in support of that resolution when it's heard. So now I'd like to uh, introduce our next uh, guest, Jake Fettis. Jake Fettis with Fettis Family Meets out of the Manhattan area is going to join us today. We're going to talk a little bit about a couple of the bills we mentioned earlier about meat processing at the state level, but then also some of the, the potential legislation that we're working on at the federal level. So welcome, Jake. Today, I'd like to introduce Jake Fettis to join us for our podcast today. Jake, welcome uh, welcome to the Montana Stocker Ranchers Voice podcast today. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate it. Uh, just, uh, Jake, I might uh, like you to introduce yourself and a little bit about your operation, but I just like to familiarize everybody that uh, Jake does run a great operation down in the Manhattan, Amsterdam area, and he just had a, a recent purchase and uh new venture on business with uh, Amsterdam Meat. So uh, Jake, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation. Yeah, so our cattle operation is based just south of Manhattan, Montana, and we run registered Red Angus cattle. It's my, my family and I, my father and I run it and have a couple employees there. Um, we have bull sale in March. Last year I sold cattle to 27 different states, so we're starting to get a pretty big reach across the U.S. with our genetics. Um, like I said, we did, 1st of July, we purchased the Amsterdam Meat Shop, which is a state-inspected processing facility. Uh, we are still running probably 85% custom cutting for other people there, but we did open up a little retail spot, and we've been working on wholesaling product through restaurants and grocery stores in Belgrade and Bozeman and Big Sky, um, and just trying to grow that side of the business so that we can help our customers make more money, uh, you know, and try to keep ranching sustainable local producers in the Gallatin Valley where we're getting pushed out by development and, and land values keep going up. So it's harder for us to grow in size, but if we can create more profitability per animal, you know, maybe we can keep these guys running for another generation or two here. Well, great. And your recent recent venture is kind of one of the main reasons we wanted to hop on and have a conversation with you today. Um, specifically, we'd really like to dive deeper into the conversation surrounding uh, meat processing and meat facilities. And I know with COVID, that's kind of been top of mind for many folks. So for our listeners who are not that familiar with meat inspection, can you walk us through kind of the Federal Meat Act and how state inspection, which your facility is, falls within that? Yeah, so the Federal Meat Inspection Act was actually passed in 1906. And what it does is it just creates a, a standard of food safety for all the processors so that we know that the product we're putting out won't make people sick. And I, I'm not sure when Montana got their state program, but FSIS has a state 
inspection program that they help the states fund. I believe there's 27 states that have a state program and it's funded 50% by the federal government, 50% by the state. And through that, we can produce inspected product to be sold, but it can only be sold within the state that it's produced or processed. Um, so we are able, going through a, a state inspected facility like ours, you can sell it to consumers, you can sell it to grocery stores, restaurants, anybody within the state of Montana. So it really opens up a, a big avenue for marketing meat that, that we didn't have before. Right, we know that um, COVID has um, presented some significant challenges and it really did shine a light on some of the gaps that exist in our current system. And, and you as a producer and a processor and a value added producer, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face in your current environment? Uh, I could double my facility's capacity and still be booked out 14 months. That's a big challenge for us right now. Um, COVID did, it, it opened a lot of people's eyes to local production, local food production, meat production. Um, and it's, it's really changed consumers' mindsets, I think, for the first time, probably since World War II, you know, just seeing those empty, empty store shelves. We've always been able to go, go to the grocery store and get any product we wanted, any time of the day, at a low price. And all of a sudden, the shelves were empty, prices went up. And you couldn't find what you wanted. And it, it really turned people to looking at local. So once COVID hit, we were booked up 12 months within probably a month of COVID hitting. And right now we're booked up 14 months. Um, and I, I could be booked out 24 months, but we really haven't started booking 2022 yet. Um, I have people that have called me and asked to book up an entire month for one producer. And for me, it's, you know, that's a challenge because I, I don't want to turn my local customers away that bring me one a month or two a month here, you know, so it, it really is a challenge we're facing right now is just turning people away. Um, we turn away probably three to four customers every day for processing. Wow. So from an interstate commerce perspective, um, do you see a lot of inquiries from, from potential purchasers from out of state? Yes, we do. So on our website, which isn't completed yet, but it's up and running. I've got on, on the analytics of the website, it shows me where people are looking at our website from. I get more views from out of state than I do in state. Um, a lot of those come from California and the East Coast. I, I have no idea how they find us, but somehow they find us and they, they look through the website and then they submit questions, you know, asking if they can order. And I, of course, I have to tell them no, because I can't ship it. Um, but we do, we, I bet we get 10 to 15 requests per week for out-of-state shipments. So there there are some solutions kind of in the works and we kind of wanted to talk to you from your perspective as a processor through those. So let's talk about uh, the federal level first. So there are two bills right now that have been introduced. The first one is the Direct Act, 
Um, and then the second one is um, from Senator Tester and it's the New Markets and State Inspected Poultry and Meats Act. Um, but let's jump into the direct act real quick. So it was introduced by Representative Dusty Johnson out of South Dakota and had been introduced previously through um, last uh, Congress, but was reintroduced for this Congress. And ultimately what it does, it will allow for folks like you to sell via e-commerce up to 300 pounds of meat. And so talk to us a little bit about that. I, I know you're really familiar with that. Talk to us a little bit about that and the opportunity that it may bring to your business. Yeah, I, I think the direct act is a great bill. Uh, I'm more familiar with this one than I am test bill. We don't get a lot of interest from SD people wanting to buy 500 pounds of beef. They want to order, you know, 10 pounds of ribeyes and six pounds of fillets and 20 pounds of burger and have that shipped to them. So I think the direct act really hits the points that we need to hit as Montana inspected processing facilities to allow us to ship that quantity of beef. Um, I, I think it would really impact all of our businesses if we could do that because everybody's entranced with Montana and big sky country and Montana beef. So I think that we do have an opportunity that a lot of states don't have by just where we're located and, and who we are and what we're known as, you know, as being the last best place in the Cowboys. You know, it's, it just goes on and on. People love Montana. And so I think, you know, the direct act would work really well. And I, I don't need to ship 300 pounds of beef or 100 pounds of pork. Um, so I think it really kind of hits everything that we need it to as, as state processors. And then the other thing it did was it, it has to be done e-commerce to consumers. So it's not wholesale. We can only sell it retail. So the other thing that does is it gives us the ability to do a recall if a recall were needed. We'd be able to contact those customers. So from a food safety standpoint, I think it really hits all those points as well, because that's always been the concern is if state inspected meat leaves the state, who's in charge of a recall and who's responsible. But I think that the way Dusty Senator Johnson has, has put this in, it really takes care of that and protects Montana and protects the consumers and the processors as well. Definitely, and obviously for us as well as everyone else, protection of the consumers is our ultimate goal and providing safe um, product to them. Uh, the second one is, uh, is Senator Tester's bill and it's more of a um, interstate, I don't wanna, interstate commerce uh, bill. And so just from a very high level, this is part of his rancher's relief plan. And what it will do is just allow for some of that interstate commerce. So if either the direct act or this new um, bill from Senator Tester opens up, uh, again, that would allow you to sell to those people reaching out from out of state. Yeah, either one of those bills would. And, and I actually like uh, Tester's Rancher Relief Plan because we, we talk about the processor shipping meat across state lines, but it doesn't have to be the processor. I could have Uncle Joe down the road have a cow and we process it under inspection and Uncle Joe could sell that into Florida or New York at a, a higher price point than he can get for it here and potentially 
make a better profit on it. So it does testers rancher relief plan. This does fit into that very well. And I, I, I think it's a great, both of the bills are great. And I think both of them would do a lot for farmers and ranchers and processors in Montana. Yeah, we also, I mean, I think it's important to look for those value added opportunities. And I think that's certainly hit on those there is that, you know, we do have a great product. We raise a great product here in Montana and a lot of people have interest in that. So any opportunity we can to share that, we should look forward to taking advantage of that. I'd kind of like to just move on to our own state legislature now and, and some of the bills that we have coming up here. So on the February 23rd in our House Ag Committee, we'll be hearing House Bill 336. And this uh, bill proposes interstate, an interstate uh, meat compact. And um, from your perspective, what do you, what do you, maybe you could share some of your thoughts on this bill. I know from a stocker standpoint, we, we do have raised some concerns with this. Yeah, I've, the idea of the bill is great, but I have a lot of concerns as well as a business owner that this would affect potentially in a, in a very negative way. Um, so it's, it's a, a bill that creates a cooperative between states that have state inspection programs that we could ship into those states that we have a cooperative agreement with. You know, it'd still have to be state inspected product. However, through conversations with people, I've learned that the federal government, this, this goes against what the Federal Meat Act says, Meat Inspection Act says. The Federal Meat Inspection Act says that state inspected product cannot cross state lines. So in that law, we can't go and pass a cooperative bill that says we can do this. Um, and, and what I've learned in conversations with people is that the federal government has got this on their radar and they have said that if we pass this bill, one, they will pull all of our funding from the federal government, which is $1.1 million. So Montana would have to come up with that money and, and fund our entire state inspection program instead of 50% of it. And also through conversations, I've learned that they will pull our equal to status, which is what our state inspection program does is it, um, well, according to the Federal Meat Inspection Act, we are an equal to state. So our standards have to be equal to or greater than a USDA inspected facility. So that's what gives us the ability to sell meat on a retail and wholesale level is that equal to status. So if, if the federal government or FSIS polls are equal to status, it doesn't matter what cooperative agreements we have in place because we won't be able to sell meat across state lines, we won't be able to sell meat within the state of Montana. So I think, you know, I, I understand why they want to do this, but I think it's it's a big gamble and you're relying on the, the federal government saying, okay, no, you know, you can keep your equal to status. We're not gonna mess with you. And I, I think we all know that that's not how the federal government rolls. Uh, they are the overarching entity and they have the control and they are gonna do what they want. Um, so if we lose our equal to status, it would force all state inspected facilities to either go custom exempt or get under or go under a grant of inspection through USDA, which right now is about an 18 month timeline to get a grant of inspection through USDA. So if we are not an equal to state and it takes 18 months to get under USDA inspection, 
what are our processors going to do for those 18 months? We won't be able to process meat and sell it. We can't ship it anywhere. We can't do anything with it. I don't even know if we can process at that point because we'd have to go under USDA custom exempt because we wouldn't even have custom exempt state program anymore. So I, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered about this bill. Uh, another concern that was raised to me is what about all the meat that's been processed under state inspection that's out there that's sitting in a restaurant's freezer that's sitting in the, in the cooler at the grocery store. If we no longer have a state inspection program, does that state inspected product, is it still considered state inspected? Or do we have to recall that product that's at those facilities? So I, I think there's, I think it's a, it's a good idea what this bill is trying to do, but there's a lot more questions and a lot more concerns that need to be addressed before we can pass something like this. So I yeah, want, thanks. yeah, I want to loop back with you quickly on something you said earlier and um, about your capacity and, you know, your 18 month waiting list. So for someone who is in the business of meat processing, what, what does our state need? Like, what is the most immediate action item that we can do to um, kind of take that burden off of the producers who can't find spot, spots for their animals, but for the processors who are so backed up, they don't have any more room. Uh, about a billion dollars <laughs> would be great. <laughs> um, you know, my facility, we've increased, we've almost doubled our capacity since July 1st. We were part of the, the meat processors grant. And with that, we were able to purchase some new equipment, purchase a new freezer, rearrange some things, and it's, it's almost doubled our production to what, where we are today. We're almost maxed out, just space-wise, building-wise, land-wise, where it sits, we're almost maxed out. Um, and, and I think that's, it all takes money, is what it comes down to. If we want new processors to open up, if we want other processors to get under state inspection, or USDA inspection, it all costs money. Um, my facility is about a quarter of a million dollars away from getting under USDA inspection just in remodels. Mm -hmm. So if I can't stay under state and I have to go to USDA, that, that's gonna be pretty difficult for us to do. Um, but I, it, it's a hard subject because if you look at nationally, I think that the four largest packers, I think there's 837 or something USA inspected plants in the country. It's right around there, it's over 800. And 28 of those plants do 85% of the processing in the US. So if you look at the scale of our industry and the scale of the processors that are doing the majority of the processing in the country, the small processors won't even put dent and the number of cattle that we need to slaughter and process. And just in the state of Montana, I would guess you could open up 20 or 30 of them that are the size of mine and we'd still all be backlogged a year. Um, I, and there's not that many people that wanna cut meat. <laughs> it's a hard job and it's just not one that is looked upon. You know, 40 years ago, the town butcher was the most popular guy in town. And now it's almost looked at kind of a crummy job um, and, and it's too bad. And I think that some of that's changing with, with some of the, the meat cutting programs that are going into the colleges. 
I think that trade will come back because it is a, it is a trade that people want to learn. They want to know how to do it. Um, and also I think consumers where they want to buy local meat, people are starting to realize that, you know, the local butcher could be making as much money as the plumber, the electrician, you know, in those trades. And so I think we're going to see some of that trade come back. It's just, just a matter of time. Great. Certainly, I think on, uh, yeah, there's a lot of challenges out there. On a positive note, I think some of the things we're also looking at is we, we do have a pretty good program in Montana with Made in Montana and Grown in Montana. And I think you're a member of that. And thought maybe you could just share a little bit about that program and kind of why you decided to participate in that. Yeah, so we actually just got approved for that oh, two weeks ago. It's, it's very recent. Um, well, as you know, Jay and, and Rayleigh and stock growers and every other national organization right now, country of origin labeling is a huge conversation, has been for the last 10 years. And I guess I was looking at it, well, we just had the placarding bill come up in Helena. Um, and so everybody's looking for a way to label product. Well, I got to look at that. You know, all of our local meat gets local put on there. But we're looking for another way to show where it came from, what it was. Um, and I, I'd known about the program for a long time. I just didn't know what it entailed. So I got online and looked at it. And, you know, we qualified for everything. Everything we were doing was what was required of the program. I thought, well, you know, this can be my state of origin labeling. Um, and, and I can prove to my consumers that this is a Montana product. It was grown here. It was processed here. You know, our sausages are all made from seasonings that are made 13 miles away from my facility. And so they're all local seasonings, you know, and we're trying to really stick with that local. Everything we're doing is Montana as much as we can. So I wanted to be able to label my product that way and show people that that's what it was. So I think, you know, when we're looking at country of origin labeling and placarding stuff, we've already got the process there. It's just a matter of being a part of it. Great. Well, we're excited to see yeah. how that works for you. For From our standpoint, that's a program that we feel um, adds a lot of value to our producers and is a fairly easy program to sign up for and is free. So um, definitely we'll, we'll be following up with you on that. Thank you. Yeah, and we've heard just over the last year, there's been a 30% increase from local processors too engaged in that program. So that's, uh, I think that's certainly a benefit and something we'd like to promote more. Yeah, yeah. Well, one other thing I, I just thought of, um, so I was reading an article here a while back and it said in 1970, so that would make it what, 51 years ago? 70% of the food that was consumed in Montana was made, grown, and processed in Montana. Mm. And as of 2020, it was 5%. Yeah. So we didn't stop growing less food. We didn't stop raising less beef. We're just shipping out our raw products, having them processed, made into food somewhere else, and then shipping them back. And so you, Radley, you asked about meat processors in Montana. What can we do to help? And I think this goes along with you know, our grain producers in the Northwest and the Golden Triangle, you know, and, and soybean producers. I think it, it's, it's more than just meat. And I know we're focusing on, on livestock 
in this podcast, but how do we turn Montana raw products into Montana finished products in Montana and keep them here and export a finished product rather than, rather than exporting a raw product and importing a finished product. And I, that's, I think that's really something that Montana has to think about. Our, our senators and legislators need to think about because we are losing an astronomical amount of money as a state by shipping out raw product. And we need to figure out how to process more of it. And that goes for all products, but mostly food. I think, you know, we are a huge food producer. How do we produce that food here, process it here and send it out? Yeah, and I think once again, you know, the more we capture that value for our producers, the more successful they're going to be. And, and that really just benefits us, not only as individuals, but as a state in the whole, as the number one industry. So those are great kind of parting thoughts, I think, for our listeners today. I would just like to once again, thank you, Jake, for joining us. I know you are in the middle of uh, calving and uh, <laughs> and your other businesses. And so we do appreciate you taking the time to, to sit with us and, and talk a little bit about this important issues. And so once again, just like to thank you for your time. Thank you, Rayleigh. And thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Once again, I'd like to thank Jake for joining us today. And um, certainly it's, it's great to see producers like that involved, not only at the state level, but also at the federal level and, and the work that he's done. Yes, and we want to thank you also for joining us today. Uh, just as our friendly reminders, make sure to subscribe to The Rancher's Voice. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And make sure to like, share, and comment on each episode. If you have questions for us, feel free to email us at Kenny, K-E-N-I, at mtbeef.org. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody.